0: Awaken Podcast. I hope you
1: enjoy the teaching. Greetings, Awaken. I'm Kathy Solomon. I'm the Director of Community Life, and I would like to extend a warm welcome to you, whether you're listening or watching in. And for those of you who are new, I'd like to extend a special welcome. We have a lot of happenings at Awaken right now, yet there's two that I'd like to highlight this morning. The first is that we have weekly Monday evening prayer gatherings. So every Monday evening, you're invited to be led in prayer. The prayer might be a reading from scripture or a particular prayer practice or another sacred reading. All you need to do is hop in on Zoom, no introductions, You don't even need to turn on your video. This is just a time for you to show up and connect with God. It's every Monday evening at 8.30 p.m. And the second is that we have monthly Zoom worship gatherings. So if you miss connecting in musical worship like we do, we've set up this COVID-friendly way um, to engage in worship. Um, our music and arts folks, Mel and her team, um, will be hosting monthly Zoom worship nights. It'll be 30 to 45 minutes, and along with the music, there will be scripture, prayer, and some meditation. Now, this is going to happen monthly on a Sunday night, not this next Sunday but the Sunday after October 18th at 8 30 p.m. So both the monthly zoom worship night and the weekly prayer gathering they both happen at 8 30. One's on a Sunday the other happens every week on a Monday and you can get the zoom link either in the awaken weekly or go to our Facebook awaken community fireside room page for the link. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, everyone. Hi,
2: kids. I hope you had a great week. Excited to be with you again. So last week, we talked about what a prophet is. And simply said, we talked about what a prophet, that a prophet is someone who gives a message, someone who delivers not just any message, but God's message, a special message. So each week we're gonna be focusing on a different prophet and this week our prophet is Jeremiah. I'm gonna read a story from the Children of God Storybook Bible written by Desmond Tutu. And it is called Jeremiah the Boy Prophet taken from Jeremiah 1 and Jeremiah 18. One day God spoke to Jeremiah, I have chosen you to be my prophet. Jeremiah was afraid. I am only a boy, he said. I won't know what to say. I will tell you the words, God said, touching Jeremiah's lips. Even before you were born, I chose you. God showed Jeremiah a branch of an almond tree, which is the first tree to bloom in the spring. Jeremiah knew then what God meant. He would make Jeremiah's work blossom like the almond tree. Then God sent Jeremiah to a potter's house. Jeremiah watched as the potter formed a jar of clay on his wheel. But the jar was lopsided, so the potter took wet clay and reshaped it until at last it was whole and perfect. My children are like clay in my hands, God said. If they let me, I will make them whole and perfect. Jeremiah served the Lord as a prophet for 40 years and tried to teach people how to live and be shaped by God's love. And on the bottom here it says dear God thank you for giving purpose to everyone's life including mine. God has created each of his people with a purpose and like that potter showed Jeremiah with the clay, God will continue to shape us and help us to be more like him. Jeremiah had a very special purpose. He was chosen to be a prophet when he was very young. God gave him some really hard messages to deliver. Mike is gonna tell us more about that. It wasn't easy. He told, God told Jeremiah to tell the people of Judah that what they do, were doing weren't, wasn't what God wanted them to do. He told them that they were turning away from God and that they needed to turn to God. Jeremiah had to be bold and he had to be brave. It wasn't easy to share this message from God and the people did not want to hear it. Can you think of a time that you had to be bold and brave and tell someone or maybe a group of people about something that they maybe weren't doing right? We don't usually wanna hear what we're doing wrong, right? It makes us defensive and we even sometimes get mad at the person who is telling us that we aren't making the best choices. Deep down though, we do know that we can trust people. We usually know who we can trust. And it's usually the people who we trust most that want to help us be better people. Even though they could have trusted Jeremiah, the people were not listening to him. They continued to to not listen. And he continued to be bold and brave and keep speaking what God was telling him to tell the people. Through Jeremiah and this story from the Bible, we're able to see into God's heart and his feelings. God was having a hard time with the actions of the people whom he loved and he was wrestling with, and he was trying to show them how to respond to the choices that they were making. He just wanted the people's hearts to be softened and be connected and to show love for each other and to show love for all of the creation that God had given them. But they continued not to listen. listen. Jeremiah felt sad and God felt sad that people weren't following or listening or caring about what God cared about. I wonder what it was like for God to feel the sadness of seeing his people make choices that weren't good. God wants us to care about what God cares about, but in order to do this we need to be listening and trusting in his faithfulness and love for us and turning back to Him when we make mistakes or choices that aren't what He wants for us. I would love for you to take some time today or maybe this week to be still and know that God is near and listen. Think about the events that are happening in your life or in the lives of the people in your community. What is it that God wants you to hear? How does He want you to respond? How does he want you to serve and help those around you? Remember that God loves you and he has a purpose for you. Continue to be bold and brave as you live your life caring for what God cares about. Maybe you can even make a list of ways that you can care. How can you care for God's creation, for the earth, for people, for our community? Pick one thing each day that you want to do to care for something or someone. As we continue to care and serve, our hearts will grow in love for Jesus and for the people around us. We would love to sing a blessing over you today. Our prayer for this whole community, both kids and adults, is constantly that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear.
3: sing this big a new song uh, together today. Dan's going to lead it for us. Um, But I heard this song and I was like, this is a prophet song. It's got a lot of the voice of the prophets in it. It's called How Much Longer. Um, Listen, sing along as you can. Um, Let's sing this together.
0: In the sun Hearts of saints and sinners too, both have walked away from the destined.
4: So good to be with you. I was going to say it's so good to see you. (laughs) Old habits die hard, I guess. There's nobody here. Uh, Well, um, uh, a couple things before we jump into Jeremiah, uh, I want to just talk uh, briefly about a few things that I maybe have a little bit more of a vested interest in. Uh, those being learning labs. So they're coming up. Uh, We've organized a couple of learning labs that are happening. They start October the 14th. Uh, So we've got six weeks total and a two-week section and then a four-week section. So the first week, uh, first two weeks, will be uh, a learning lab called Conflicted Allegiance, led by my friend John Huckins from the Global Immersion Project. And we wanted to give you an opportunity before the election to... uh, maybe spend some time thinking about what does it mean to be a person of faith and uh, a citizen of the United States and to participate in both uh, your spiritual journey and the democratic process of voting. Uh, this is nonpartisan. If you're uh, red, blue, right, left, Republican, Democrat, all are welcome, uh, but we wanna, we wanna invite you to think critically about what does it mean to be a person of faith and to vote in, our, uh, in the election that's upcoming. Um, after that, starting on October the twenty-eighth, will be a four-week learning lab led by my friend David Swanson, who's a EC uh, Covenant pastor and has written a book called "Rediscipling the White Church." And so we want to re-engage, uh, continue to engage the process and the conversation around race and justice. Uh, we believe that the gospel is uh, the good news it includes. Well, let me just say it this way: there is, um, there is no in between. Uh, there's no space between racist policies and anti-racist policies, right? Either there are policies that uphold and and further the ideology of racism, that one particular person or group of people is, is privileged more than another, or uh, or a group of people working against those policies. So there's no space in between them, and we think that we want to be a church that's engaged in uh, the conversation around anti-racism. And what does it mean to be actively working to create policies and to, uh, to work for change in such... Uh, in ways that work against some of the some of the things that are present in our culture and in our democracy in uh policies and uh and government and so re the white church that'll be four weeks those happen on wednesday nights all zoom you can register online last but not least we have we want to re-engage uh a conversation with you Regarding or connected to our denomination and our relationship to our denomination. So we're part of the Covenant Church. And prior to COVID, we had on the schedule to begin some listening circles for us to listen and hear from you uh, as to what you think uh, our relationship and future should be or should look like as it relates to the Covenant. And so we want to do that. And uh, October 25th and the 27th at 7.30 p.m., both Zoom meetings. You can register online. Through the Awaken Weekly or the website. Uh, Donna Albinson, who's a part of our board, and myself will be leading those. And uh, we want to hear from you. So we'll share a little bit about where we've been, some history, uh, where we think we are, and then maybe some proposals as to where we might go in the future. And we'd love to hear your feedback. So please join in those. That is all for the announcements. Let's get to the part that I've worked so hard all week on. Jeremiah, Um, I'm really glad that you're here. And so however you found your way to this gathering, whether it be uh, digitally, uh, audio or video, I hope and I pray that you get exactly what you need today to keep going, um, to take one more step, to to, uh, persevere in faith, because we know that perseverance produces Um, faith and good things in us. It bears fruit in us. So I hope that that's what you get today. Uh, Since the last podcast that we recorded, a lot has happened. Um, We had a presidential debate, if you can call it that. Uh, Our president and the first lady contracted COVID-19, and God only knows what will happen between now and when this podcast is released. And so I I wanted to actually begin this morning with a prayer. Uh, A prayer By a a fellow who has spent his life studying the prophets, a man named Walter Brueggemann. And so I'd invite you to pray with me uh, as I begin this morning. So, God, since our mothers and fathers cried out, since you heard their cries and noticed, since we left the brick production of Egypt, since you foiled the production schedules of Pharaoh, we have known your name, we have sensed your passion. We have treasured your vision of justice. And so now we turn to you again, whose precious name we know. We turn to you because there are still impossible production schedules, still exploitative systems, still cries of pain at injustice, still cheap labor that yields misery. We turn to you in impatience and exasperation, wondering how long before you answer our pleading question before you hear our petition, since you are not a labor boss and do not set wages. So we bid you, stir up those who can change things. Do your stirring in the jaded halls of government. Do your stirring in the cynical offices of the corporations. Do your stirring amid the voting public too anxious to care. Do your stirring in the church that thinks too much about purity and not enough about wages. Move as you moved in Egypt Move the waters and the flocks and the herds toward new statutes and regulations, new equity and good health care, new dignity that cannot be given on the cheap. You, God of justice and dignity and equity, keep the promises that you bodied in Jesus, that the poor may be first-class members of society, that the needy may have good care and respect, that the poor earth may rejoice in well-being That we may all come to Sabbath rest together, the owner and the worker, the leisure class and the labor class, all at peace in dignity and in justice. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, we're gonna dive into Jeremiah this morning. And uh, this is the beginning of a series that we're starting on the prophets. It's called The Prophets Among Us. Jeremiah is one of the more substantial prophets in the Bible, 52 chapters. And of course, I only have 30 minutes now, probably less than that. Um, And so I can't cover all of Jeremiah, but what I wanna do this morning is try to give you like a little bit of historical context as to when Jeremiah was preaching and teaching and offering prophecy and critique. And then uh, I want to just look at three passages from Jeremiah, Uh, three passages that I think will give you a sense of who he was as a prophet and that I think uh, speak not only then but speak now to us in our time and in our day. So, um, first of all, who was Jeremiah and when did he preach? Uh, He received his call in 625 BCE. He was young, as Mandy mentioned. He was active during the last kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. So if you remember your Old Testament history, Israel broke up into two kingdoms. There was the north uh, in Israel and there was the south. So two two tribes in the north and ten in the south in the southern kingdom. That was all that was left by the time Jeremiah was prophesying. And he prophesied during the last four kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. So Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And um, he's known as the the weeping prophet because... More often than not, you parents of young children, Jeremiah had big emotions, okay? So if you've got young kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Big, big emotions. And often we find him weeping, crying, um, shedding tears. He writes in chapter 13, if you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. Um, He lived through the siege of Jerusalem and then the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 by the Babylonians, and so he had reason to weep. He's also known as the prophet of judgment because Jeremiah has some very sharp things to say to the nation of Israel, as we mentioned last week. Behold the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, such a great word. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has accomplished the intents of his mind. He has gone forth from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. Pretty straightforward on that. Uh, as I said, he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonians as a judgment of God, that God allowed the Babylonians to come in and essentially destroy and uh, uh, lay the city to waste. In chapter 36, we, we see a really fascinating moment in the book because uh, essentially, we see how the book was created. In chapter 36, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet and says, write down everything you've said, basically. You've been going at this for 20 years now. Now, go back, go find your journals, Jeremiah. Write the things down. So Jeremiah enlists a scribe named Baruch, and that's what happens. Baruch takes the sermons, the prophecies, and and the critiques, and the things Jeremiah has said and did say, and then also adds some commentary. So the whole of Jeremiah is both narrative, it's prophecy, it's sermon, it's commentary, and it's all connected in the book that we call Jeremiah. 52 chapters. Um, The dominant message of Jeremiah was a critique of idolatry. The people of God, the Israelites, had essentially broke the covenant that they agreed to be in with Yahweh, all the way back to Moses and uh, uh, the giving of the law at Sinai. They were worshiping other gods. They had set up temples and altars all throughout the land. And Jeremiah coins this idea of idolatry as adultery, essentially that, that the people of God were uh, promiscuous and they were unfaithful, and we'll read a little bit more about that. So that's kind of the context, right? The last kings of the Southern Kingdom of, of Judah, before Israel is kind of wiped off the planet, uh, off the map in terms of the kingdoms, and he's preaching mostly from Jerusalem during the last four kings. And his his critique is one of idolatry. So let's look at three passages in Jeremiah, and we'll start in Jeremiah chapter seven. Um, I won't ask you to, well, if you want to stand, you can, um, but this is uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 7. We read this. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim the message. That's the temple. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says Reform your ways and your actions. I will not, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. This, by the way, may be the place or the the inspiration for preachers who just keep repeating the same thing over and over again, even though they're not making any sense. It's Jeremiah chapter seven. Um, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, or the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors, forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive, and words, deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you have not known, and then... Come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. That last verse is one Jesus ends up quoting later in the Gospels. So this is famously known as Jeremiah's temple sermon. He walks into the temple and he begins to shred the activities and the people that are in in the temple. Um, it would be, this is very powerful and very vivid moment. It would be like me walking into the White House and critiquing democracy. Or it would be like me walking into New York and in the New York Stock Exchange and starting to critique capitalism as an idea, right? Um, as we study the prophets, we'll come back to this, but essentially we have this juxtaposition between temple and liturgy and worship and what the people are saying or doing And then their ethics, which inform their actions and what they're actually doing. And these two things which are often at odds with one another. There seems to be an assumption that Jeremiah has a problem with and that the people uh, or that he's reacting to among the people of God. And that problem, uh, he doesn't have a problem with the temple. He's fine with the temple. The structure, uh, what it's doing, the liturgy, the house of God, it's great. It's fine. What he has a problem with is the people who assume that they are entitled to the benefits of the covenant without obedience to the rules and the stipulations of the covenant, right? They think they can just live in the land, reap its benefits, um, hide under Yahweh's protection, which the temple is symbolic of, and meanwhile, oppress the poor, alienate the foreigner, take advantage of the widow and the orphan, and to top it off, worship other gods. Brueggemann writes this. First, Judah regularly violates the main claims of the covenant with Yahweh, and second... Those who violate the Torah then go into the temple to conduct liturgy as though they are obedient to the loin of the liturgy. That's a great sentence. They have no sense of shame at the distance between their liturgy and their ethics. It's like they have no sense of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the chasm that exists between what they're doing in worship and what they are actually doing and saying in their actions by their ethics. Um, maybe if you could close your eyes for a moment and imagine, like, the Statue of Liberty, right? The Statue of Liberty standing in New York Harbor, holding a torch, uh, a symbol of, American, uh, of the American idea that people can come to this place, which is a, an oppor- a place of opportunity and a place of democracy where every voice counts and every voice matters, and this, this symbol which stands in the harbor and says, come you who are, who are beleaguered and, and troubled, come and I will essentially take you in, right? It would be like we or I believed in this idea, championed this idea, was proud of this idea, told this idea to my friends about like, what a great place that we live in. And then stood by while a government reduced the number of refugees to an all-time low. It would be like that what the prophet is saying to the people of Israel. For a little bit of comparison, the proposal for refugee resettlement by the current administration is 15,000 people as compared to 150,000 people in 2015. These are refugees, people who are leaving their countries because of war and violence and and, uh, uh, oppressive governments who are coming to our country legally and going through the process, due process, So it would be like we championed this great idea and the Statue of Liberty with stands for all these things and then stood by and did nothing or said nothing while our government reduced the number of refugees to an all-time low. That's what it would be like, hypothetically speaking. If the prophet were among us in 2020, I wonder what he might say. To the people of God 2,000 years ago, The prophet indicts the people for using the temple as a shelter for their ethics, which informed their actions, which stood at odds and in contrast with the way of God and the people of God and the heart of God. And the prophet will not have it. The prophet says no. So again, to you parents out there, you have a lot in common with the prophet, The prophet says, on behalf of God, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. This is chapter 7. Passage number 2 comes from chapter 13, which is a stark contrast to chapter 7. It's quite a story. It reads this way. This is what the Lord said to me, to Jeremiah. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch the water. So I bought a belt, as the Lord directed, and put it around my waist. And then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and that you are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it in a crevice in the rocks. And so I went and hid it at Parath, as the Lord had told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. They will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor, but they have not Listened. It's a very different tone. It's a very different passage. One word that you should note is the word linen belt, uh, which is the, the Hebrew word ezoar, and it literally means like um, a waistcloth or the inmost piece of clothing. Essentially, God invites the prophet Jeremiah to go find some underwear, some intimate apparel, and to put it on and to wear that intimate apparel in the most intimate place. Uh, Something that would cover the most intimate parts of our bodies, the the places that have the power to bring life and vibrancy and also the power to bring death and destruction. And he says, put it on. Feel what I feel. The warmth of friendship, the comfort of relationship, the intimacy. And then take it off. Bury it in the mud. Hide it. Walk away from it. And then he invites the prophet to come, come back and to dig it up and see that it is in fact soiled and useless, as if to say, do you understand how I feel? Do you know what it's like to be brokenhearted, to have invited someone into the most intimate of places only to have them reject you and to walk away and to, to, to disparage your name? For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I, God, bound all the people of Israel and Judah to me, but they have not listened. To those of you who have had the joy and privilege to be in an intimate and strong and healthy relationship or friendship, then you know what it's like to share that with someone. And to those who have walked brokenheartedness and heartbreak out or or disappointment or longing, then you know what God feels in this moment. This is what God intends to do and be for us and with us, to bring us close in communion and intimacy with God. So can you imagine what it must be like to be God, the pain and the heartache, to have put themselves out there in such vulnerable ways, not once, not twice, but again and again and again and again, over and over, infinitely. And to have me and you and us Have our hearts turned to stone and to break, like, I want to, I want to pause for a moment because I think so often we distance ourselves. God is transcendent. God is great. God is holy. God is just all these, you know, magnificent words and ideas, but take just a second and bring God close. Like, let God be Imminent. Let God be incarnate, enfleshed, and imagine what God must feel like. In the prophets, we not only hear what God thinks and the, the critique that God has, but we understand what God goes through. We, un- we get a glimpse of what the divine feels when we walk away, when we disparage God's name, when we, when we worship in this place and yet go out and care not for our neighbor. So in passage one, we see the frustration the anger of God. But in the second passage, we feel like the pathos, the the heartache, the, the breaking of God's heart. And then we read this third passage from Jeremiah chapter 31. This is one of the most famous passages in all of Jeremiah, where the prophet essentially writes this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. What was once written in stone will be written in flesh. In this passage, we see the hope, the enduring hope of the God of Scripture. And not only do we see the hope of God, but we see the promise of action, action informed by an ethic of unending love and compassion. If Jesus is the ending of this statement that God makes through the prophet, then what we see is not only intention, but action fulfilled in Jesus. So we see the compassion and the unending hope of God, but then we see the action of God in Jesus, faithful and steadfast pursuit. Even now, as the people mock the very structure that represents God from the temple itself, We see the plan and the promise of God to be faithful to creation and to humanity, to not walk away from us, even in our brokenness and even in our infidelity, even in our mess that we've created. We see hope for a future that only the divine can bring about. And that, my friends, that's good news. I don't know about you, but man, I'm tired. And I've had to like stop watching the news because it's just weary. But the other night I was watching a documentary. It's called Good Trouble. And I was trying to think of a person or a situation in my life where it was dark, and yet there was this, this glimmer, this like unwavering hope for a different tomorrow if you haven't seen this documentary, I would highly recommend that you watch it. It's called Good Trouble, and it's about John Lewis. And what you see over the course of this documentary is a man who is convinced that there will be a better tomorrow. Amidst white supremacy, amidst racism, beatings, getting literally attacked by dogs, beaten with clubs as they marched across the the Pettus Bridge. And I I watched this film and and as it ended, I thought, how do you hope after that, after a lifetime of darkness and staring it in the face? And this is a little bit like that moment, I would imagine. For the prophet who says on behalf of God, amidst darkness, amidst two kingdoms having gone awry, idolatry everywhere, unfaithfulness, promiscuity, the, oppra- uh, the, the poor being oppressed, the widows and the aliens and the orphans being marginalized, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Amid- in that moment, the prophet says on behalf of God, There's hope. There's hope for a a different kind of tomorrow. And so this morning, may I be the one to remind you of the prophet Jeremiah's words of hope. Even after the anger of God, the justice of God being rained down, even after the prophet is invited to feel what God feels, in the words of the prophet, we know what God is like. We hear and we sense and we feel the heart and the compassion of God and, and, and that, that God is not a God who walks away from this garment this moment, but that God is a God who, who doesn't throw up its hands in despair and says, you're on your own. But no, this is a God who enters into the story, into the mess. This is the, <laughs> This is the wonder of the incarnation. That God not only enters our mess, but like draws the bath and washes us and cleanses us and bathes us and offers a new tomorrow and restores us. What was written in stone is now written in flesh, incarnated and human. So do not lose hope. Do not despair. All is not lost. As we close this morning, I wanna invite you to hear this song afresh and anew. We've sung it so many times at Awaken, it's one of my favorites. It's called Fall Afresh. And the first word is awaken. And it's a prayer, it's a plea, it's a a challenge, like awaken in us, awaken in me. A confidence, a belief in this hope that tomorrow does not have to be the same as today. That there is a new dawn in the resurrection of Christ, that the darkest of dark, the the, the evilest of evil, the worst of the worst has been beaten. Death has no sting. In victory, Jesus rises from the grave and says, follow me to light. So Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us, on me, on this congregation, on our community, on our country, on our world. As we move towards the table in this moment where we hear again the promise of Jesus that a body has been broken and blood has been poured out and is offered to you and to me, in this moment, right here and right now, wherever you've come from, whatever it is that you're holding, whether it's joy and, 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 and confidence or hope or despair and sadness and brokenheartedness, whatever, whatever you bring to this moment, this is for you again today. So Holy Spirit, do your work. Fall afresh on us, I pray. Bye. take just a moment of silence with me as we prepare our hearts for communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. So remember the things that I've said, remember the things that I've done, the posture that I inhabited the world with, the way that I treated my neighbor, and the stranger, the alien, the orphan, the widow, those who are out on the edges. Like, Pay attention, don't forget. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood shed for you. And whenever you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. So this table, the Eucharist, the good gift of God. It is the table of God. It is not the table of the church. It is not mine. It's not the Pope's. It's not any other religious officials. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have a lot of faith or a little bit of faith, you who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you or because the church invites you but because the resurrected Christ in whom the unending hope of God is made known invites you to come and be fed and be known here at this table. So I'd invite you to take the bread and to hear these words, the body of Christ Broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. One of the other more famous passages in Jeremiah is Jeremiah chapter six, in which the prophet says, Stand at the crossroads, which is actually best translated like stand in the ways, the, the, the well-worn paths of the ancient. Stand in these paths and see. So stand and see and ask. Ask for ask for the way, ask for what is good, where the good is, where the tove is, and then walk in that and there and then you will find rest and so I don't know about you if you need rest if you need like a Sabbath um, healing restoration but the more and the longer I do this the more I'm convinced that It's that way. It's this way. It's the body and the blood of Christ. It's the way of Jesus. So stand at the crossroads, friends, and see. See this path, see this way, and ask for what is good. Ask to know what is good, and then walk in it. And my hope and my prayer, my sneaky suspicion, is that though it may even cost some of us our lives, we will find rest the kind of rest that cannot be taken, the kind of rest that not even death can swallow up. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of the church said together, amen, amen, and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.
0: book.com backslash awakening